Episode 13, Silver and a Pure Heart of Gold. Two years after our baby of the family, Bridget Louise, is born, our parents celebrate their 25th wedding anniversary. Of course, there was a jubilee mass at Holy Name Church, followed by a reception in the Holy Name School cafeteria. It seemed like quite a victorious celebration the big move from Oswego to Detroit to Birmingham, let alone having 18 kids in 23 years. FYI, the photo associated with this podcast was taken at this very reception. Here is an excerpt from a Detroit News newspaper article about our parents' 25th, reported by William M. Lutz. Medical science's lengthening of this lifespan has knocked much of the shimmer out of 25th wedding anniversaries. An exception was the anniversary recently celebrated by Mr. and Mrs. John F. Callahan of Birmingham. The Callahans, parents of 18 children, held a party in their parish school dining hall to hail what the 43-year-old mother called 25 years of the mumps measles, and merriment. Each of the children has had mumps, she said, but only 16 have had measles. So far, we've had one case of pneumonia and one case of spinal meningitis. Of course, we have had thousands of stitches. Although the family lives in a 23-room, nine-bedroom home, it wasn't big enough for the celebration. John Callahan, a teacher at Holy Name School and Holy Name Church's organist, arranged for a party in the hall, which was crowded with well-wishers. Here's a girl for you and a boy for me, quipped Mrs. Callahan as she parked the youngest girl, two-year-old Bridget, on her husband's lap and held the youngest boy, four-year-old Patrick, on her own. She instructed the 16 other Callahans to line up in chronological order. Margaret, 24. John, 22. Paul, 21. James Patrick, 20. Brian, 18. Kathleen, 17. Edward, 16. William, 15. Anne, 13. Patricia, 12. Claire, 11. Christopher, 10. Kevin, 8, the twins, Mary and Joseph, 7, Teresa, 5, Patrick, 4, and Bridget, 2. Then she cautioned, no punching when they close in. Mrs. Callahan attributes organization to her success of managing a large house. Each youngster has tasks to do, she said. The older ones watch out for the younger ones, and so on but everyone must report to me when they leave the house, tell me where they are going and when they expect to return. She keeps such miscellaneous information in her head. You get used to dealing in multiples, she commented. Much of our food is in the multiple type. Spaghetti is a big item on the menu. The Callahan's table is 12 feet long. At present, it is serving 16 children and the parents. The oldest child, Mrs. Margaret Guzicki, has a home of her own. The next in line, John, 
is attending college in New York. End of article. Of special note is that our Margaret Virginia, number one, is pregnant with her number one, our parents' first of what would eventually be 60 grandchildren. Six months later, on August 25, 1962, our brother Paul, number three, married Kathleen Mangan in Albany, New York. And on February 19, 1963, our brother Brian Francis, number five, married Celeste Filiatro at St. Hugo of the Hills Catholic Church in Bloomfield Hills. Now, let's go back five years earlier in 1957. Our paternal grandfather, Fishy Callahan, died suddenly. Our Nana Callahan, now an empty nester and all alone, moves out from their family home in Oswego and moves in with her various children. Nana eventually ends up at 86 Manor Road with us. Our parents, although already with the full to the brim house, welcomed Nana Callahan. And we did, too. Nana Callahan was notorious for her love of needlepoint, her obsession with as-the-world-turned-soap-opera, and her hatred of cats. <coughs> Nana became roommates with our sister, Mary Kathleen, Kathy, number six. Please listen to some of Kathy's memories of being Nana's roommate. She critiqued my dates. When I would come home and I'd go upstairs, she'd be awake, and she'd make a comment. Then the scary part I had being her roommate, because I didn't know what to do, I was in a quandary. Um, because Nana was there, because with their grief, you know, losing Fishy and living alone after having all the kids and stuff, she started to drink. Dad had the whiskey on the top shelf in that closet. I remember. Right off the breakfast kitchen area. Mm -hmm. And she'd wait till they were asleep. I would come upstairs, and then she would tell me, I want you to go downstairs, and I want you to make me a drink, and I want you to put a stick in it. And if I didn't want to tell Mom and Dad, should I be doing this? Yes, it was. So I finally said, I better tell them. Because what did they catch me? They laughed. He said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Like, let her have a drink here and there. He was with me. And I never saw her intoxicated. All the time, she was my roommate. And now, William Joseph, number eight, recalls a story about Nana. Yes, I remember vividly Nana Callahan coming out, spending quite a bit of time with us. She was a real character. She loved her pinochle. And she loved to watch her soap operas every afternoon. Let's see. Uh, oh, yeah. One time I remember I uh, was running off to school to Brother Rice. I left in a hurry. Then I remembered I forgot something. So I ran back into 86 Manor Road. And there was Nana standing on a chair in the closet off the kitchen with her hand on a whiskey bottle. And she turned and was shocked that I was there, and she just said, I'm parched. Let's listen to Kevin Martin, number 13, reflect on Nana. I just remember always being in the living room, uh, doing her yarning, her knitting, whatever they call it. Embroidery. And uh, Uncle, uh, my brother Bill would uh, go in there and do these teasing and dancing and get her upset, but not really upset. I think she loved the attention, and he loved doing it. And... Uh, 
Yeah, and that she was uh, definitely afraid of cats. Eventually, Nana Callahan does go back to Oswego, but returns to us later. Our brother, James Patrick, number four, and his girlfriend, Eleanor Frando, had been sweethearts since middle school. Seriously, that long. Eleanor lived in the neighborhood, right around the corner from Iroquois, on Seminole Street. Eleanor was born on October 18, 1941, in Detroit. She lived with her parents, Helen and Spiro Frendo, whose family immigrated from Malta, along with her two little brothers, Fred and Dennis, and her maternal grandparents, Grandma and Grandpa Panunzio. Sadly, Eleanor's father died unexpectedly at a young age when Eleanor's mother was pregnant with Dennis. Eleanor was a true beauty, even becoming the homecoming queen at St. Catherine's. Our brother, James Patrick, married Eleanor Frendo on June 22, 1963, at St. Matthew's Catholic Church in Detroit. It was such a joyous celebration. I was only eight years old at the time, but I remember being smitten with Eleanor's smile and her seemingly never-changing, upbeat spirit. Eleven months after James P. and Eleanor were married, their first child, Therese Marie, came into the world on May 30, 1964. Eleven months after that, James Patrick Jr. was born on May 4, 1965. And John Frederick was born on December 1, 1966. Six weeks later, on January 19, 1967, our brother James P. was putting Formica in the kitchen. Eleanor was close by. The kitchen caught on fire, as did they. Our sister, Claire Francis, number 11, recalls that horrific phone call. It was January 19th, my birthday, and we were celebrating with dinner on Manor Road. The phone rang, and Mom said, Claire, you answer it. It will be Nana and Big Paul calling to wish you a happy birthday. I answered the phone, and a voice said, this is the Frazier Police Department. We need to speak to Mr. or Mrs. Callahan. After Mom and Dad took the phone call, everything changed. Ultimately, tragically, Eleanor died on February 12, 1967. Her Mass of Resurrection was at St. Matthew's Church on February 15th, where, a mere four years earlier, she and James P. had celebrated the Sacrament of Holy Matrimony. She was laid to rest at Mount Olivet Catholic Cemetery in Detroit. She was 25 years old. It is easy to magnify someone who dies so young and so tragically. It is a temptation to somehow canonize them and make them more of who they really were. But honestly, no one ever has or ever could say anything negative or critical about Eleanor. She truly had a pure heart of gold and was completely and unabashedly in love with our brother and their three babies. Our sister, Mary Kathleen, 
Kathy, recalls their courtship. I remember Eleanor, but obviously I know you were so close being 10 years older. What was the relationship between Jim and Eleanor? It was just like a given, you know, like you, whenever, even in back in grade school, you thought of Jim, you thought of Eleanor. And Eleanor taught me how to ride a bike. And so I knew the Panunzios a little bit, you know, because in the neighborhood, they'd always be sitting out on the front porch. And uh, everyone loved Eleanor. It was heartbreaking for everybody that she had to die young. And they were just like a given. I mean, I just knew once they got out of college, they were going to get married. I mean, that was just, we, everybody knew that. But if you know Teresa Marie, you know Eleanor. And her you, personality, her temperament, uh, her looks, it's her mom. Now, our brother is a young widower with three precious little ones. Please listen as our James Patrick recalls what happened. So James Patrick... Uh, we had spoken once about, I had asked you, when did you fall in love with Eleanor? And you said third grade. Yes. As much as any third grader could fall in love with somebody else, yes, I had. No question. That was the year we had moved into uh, Iroquois, and I had started to go to St. Catherine's uh, Elementary School. So third grade. She was already at St. Catherine's? She was at St. Catherine's. She lived uh, one block to the west of uh, Iroquois. Okay. on Seminole, and yes, that okay. uh, she had been at St. Catherine's since first grade. Obviously, you were very serious from an early age, and you had said that, uh, yeah, why did Mom and Dad send you to the seminary, Sacred Heart Seminary, and then Sienna? In my opinion, it was to try to make sure that uh, I didn't spend any kind of significant time with Eleanor. So they were trying to minimize. Yes, that's, that's, because exactly, that's a good way to put it. So you dated all through junior high, high school, college, and then you got married June 22nd, 1963, right? Correct. And that was a big year because you... I, uh, that was a big year because I had turned 21 years old in February. And uh, in June of that same year, I graduated from U of D. And also in that same month, I married uh, Eleanor in 1963. And at that time, you said there was a big decision about St. James? Yes. I had uh, been not offered specifically in writing, but there was talk about my uh, taking my teaching degree and uh, becoming a classroom teacher at St. James Ferndale and at the same time being the choir director as well. And those two jobs together uh, would have paid uh, what at that time would have been uh, some more money than I would have been accustomed to having. And uh, I talked it over with Eleanor and it's something I really, I wanted to get away. I needed to break from the the choir and, and uh, all the masses, that situation. It was a good decision then, it was still a good decision. Because you were like substituting from what, I don't know, eighth grade? Well, no, more like seventh grade. Okay. I, uh, I was playing services at uh, St. Catharines and Stations of the Cross. Uh, uh, <laughs> you paid your dues, is yes, what you're I, saying. I, I did pay my dues. 
So then, didn't you have a professor? Absolutely. Uh, Dr. Kolasnik was his name, and uh, he had asked me, he was my advisor, and he had asked me if I, uh, what I planned to do with my teaching degree, and I said, I planned on teaching uh, elementary school someplace in Detroit. And he said to me that he thought uh, that probably wouldn't be the best route for me to go. Without seeing as much, the city of Detroit and the school district was uh, flipping at that time uh, significantly. And uh, he suggested that I look into a teaching job in a suburb of Detroit, Warren specifically. And uh, I did so and I interviewed and I was hired. And uh, I was kind of a rare commodity at the time because there weren't many men teaching elementary school, and I really enjoyed working with the little ones. I truly did. Still do. So then you went and started teaching and I started in September, again, back to uh, 63 in September. Uh, I started teaching uh, fifth grade at uh, Hartzig Junior High School. Uh, The rest is history. Herb Chodak, which is one of the gentlemen I worked with, on uh, selling houses uh, said to me, you know, Jim, you could uh, uh, tie up a house here. They were about to raise the prices of the houses from $12,000 to $15,350. Well, that was a lot of money then. Sure. And uh, he said, you can tie it up for $5, you know, uh, and so I did. The houses got built. I signed a mortgage, did all the kind of stuff that uh, you do in those circumstances. 22, I'd have been 22. Wow, so Teresa Marie was born um, 11 months, right? After you were married? Exactly right. May 30th, Memorial Day. And I would tell her that the reason all the flags were flying was because it was her birthday. Ah, (laughs) me. That's great, Jim, sweet. And And then less than a year, James, your little Jimmy, James Patrick was born, yes. right? Correct. May 4th? They're 10 months apart. Wow. They're the, both the same age for 30 days. Oh, uh, so they were like Irish twins. They were, in fact, Irish twins. Yes, yes. And then John Frederick. John Frederick. Was December 1st. December 1st, 1966. Wow. So, boom, you got married, <laughs> you graduated, got married, got a new job, bought a new home, and had three kids in like three years. You're living in the in the new house, and uh, this is when the tragedy happens. Yes, I it, was actually doing some uh, gluing for mica behind the stove to protect the wall, and the gluing material I used uh, the flame the fumes of it caught fire, set the house on fire, set us on fire. Eleanor was taken to the burn unit in Ann Arbor, University of Michigan Hospital. I I did not go from there. I went to a small hospital in Macomb County. Anyhow, I was there just for a very short period of time. And then they transferred you? Yes, they did. Okay, to uh, the U of M. And you weren't on the same floor, but you were in the same. Yes. And you could visit via like a staircase. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And um, so do you remember how long uh, you were in the hospital? Was it up until? Uh, it was up until the day of uh, Eleanor's funeral. 
Oh, uh, wow. Okay. I, Brian, my brother Brian, drove up to Ann Arbor, picked me up. They were reluctant. They initially were not going to release me. At, the, at that point, I don't know if they had started the grafting already. Okay. I think they had. Okay. So, yeah. I just remember yeah. your hands were bandaged. Yeah. I didn't know. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. So after the accident, actually the three little ones um, moved in with your mother-in-law and grandma and grandpa Panunzio. Great. That's correct. And then after the funeral, obviously, uh, you they did. They released me. They did release day. you officially. With okay. the, I had to go back to Ann Arbor several sure. times uh, for uh, you know additional treatment. Mm -hmm. so. But then you moved in with uh, Helen. Yes. Brando, your mother-in-law, and, yes. and it was Graham and Grandpa Panunzio and Eleanor's two brothers. Fred and Dennis. Dennis. So um, you all you all lived together for a while, and it, you don't really remember how long, but not that long. It was... it was No. Not tenable. No. Yeah, so I, I just remember you guys moving home. No one said anything. I mean, it wasn't like... Obviously, Eleanor had died. There had been the funeral. Yep. You went and lived with the in-laws for a little bit. Then you're there. How did you cope, Jim? Just took a day at a time, basically. Yeah. I was bound and determined to make sure I had the best possible settings for Jimmy, Jenny, and Teresa Marie to be in. And that was my main concern and my main motivation. Was it sort of a relief not to talk about it, or a, was it a comfort? Was it a burden? It was none of the above. Okay. It really, it really and truly wasn't. It, it wasn't discussed because it was just too painful a subject to, to go into any great depth yeah. relative to that. Yeah. So it was a matter of, you know, just, just survival. James Patrick moves home to Manor Road with Therese Marie, T.M., James Patrick Jr., Little Jimmy, and John Frederick, Johnny. It seemed as though you could cut the grief Manor Road held within its walls with a knife, but there wasn't a knife big or sharp enough. Maybe it was because of the hustle and bustle of such a full and varied household, we never spoke about Eleanor. I wondered if it was just our family culture, which wasn't able to make room for anything uncomfortable or combative, let alone a tragic, unspeakable death. Our sister Claire, number 11, reminisces on when James Patrick and the kids moved in. I was at Marion High School when they came home to Manor Road to live. And uh, I spent time with them in the basement at Manor Road and going to Springdale Park. In the basement, we would sing songs for hours. Favorites were the Hallelujah Chorus, Sound of Music. In fact, later, Therese Marie auditioned for Sound of Music at Marion High School for the little role of Gretel. At the age of five, she was selected and knew all the words to the song for her audition because we've been practicing it for a very long time. <laughs> That's true. I remember when they were little, they had a nap time each day. Therese was four and had a new Barbie doll. We were resting together, and she was holding the Barbie, and I was reading books to her. She said, Aunt Claire, when Barbie sneezes, do these hurt? 
and she pointed to Barbie's prominent plastic breast. <laughs> Our brother, Christopher, number 12, and yours truly, number 14, also reminisce. I remember being in seventh grade and going, I don't know if you remember, have this recollection of them making an announcement and saying, please pray for Eleanor Callahan. And I was like, what are they talking about? You know, I thought they're, they're crazy. I obviously was in denial. Wow. I remembered how traumatic it was for, for everybody. Well, what I remember most is I never felt, it was my first experience with sorrow. I remember because it was the winter, being at Manor Road, being in the living room, and I think it might have been at the time that they had announced her death, Eleanor's death, and just the feeling of sorrow that was throughout the house. It was it was profound. It was. They engulfed the house. Yeah. Engulfed. And I had never experienced such sorrow. He moved up on the third floor. He did. He That's where guys. I was. And Jim, uh, I remember the room he occupied. Did he, he had his own room, right? He did. Well, yeah. And, uh, and as I mentioned, we became close in the sense that, uh, I mean, that's when I really had a, 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 felt like a true older brother who I really especially looked up to and felt um, was looking after my interests. And as I mentioned, he would critique my papers and help me get on the right track in my writing and for history and English classes. And he was so skilled. And uh, So he was he, like a mentor almost mm -hmm. to you. But then Jim, of course, remained involved with the choir, and he oh, would yeah. organize all these sporting events. So very often after choir, we would make our way to the ballpark. And we would on Sunday afternoons after choir um, play uh, a game of softball. And Mike Guest would play. All the older brothers would play. And uh, a lot of their neighborhood friends like the Mass Rings and Hagen and the others. And we do it at parks around the, around the city, some in the Detroit area. I remember having so much fun doing that. And Jim was really the spearhead. The, yeah, the spearhead of all that. I remember going into the laundry room, uh, which is, you know, off the back. When you come in the back door, there was that little powder room and then uh, the big laundry room. And I remember going in and it was pitch black. There was no lights on. And Jim was leaning over uh, washer, dryer and just like in the zone, like staring out. Right the, out the window. Right out the window. Mm -hmm. We loved those those kids. I and They were just ridiculous. Teresa Marie, remember she was what mother called her princess fall, summer, fall, winter, spring. And she was just such a, she was so elegant oh. in her high chair. And then little Jenny and Johnny was like the dearest baby. Remember that funny uh, story she would tell about little Jimmy saying, grandma, how come you have popo legs? Because of her varicose <laughs> veins. And yeah. Now, Joseph Henry, number 15, shares some of his memories. It was kind of a, kind of a beautiful mixture of, the tragedy of Eleanor's death and how sad that was. Um, but it was, I have to admit, it was mixed with joy of, of, uh, of having, you know, really three new siblings uh, join the family. Vivid memory of, you know, seeing Therese Marie and uh, she was just gorgeous, actually, you know, and, and different gorgeous and, uh, and had a personality that was much different than, say, um, say you or 
mm-hmm. Teresa and Bridget, but let's face it, we're all live wires. She was very and reserved. She was very sedate, very serene, and very, uh, but didn't miss a trick. She was always laughing at jokes. She never missed a joke. And, uh, but her, her physical beauty, but her disposition was, is, was quite nice, quite, quite nice to, she was a uh, joy to be around. So, and, and then Jimmy, of course, uh, we've been close, still are very close uh, with Jimmy because he, he's such a wonderful people person and he's always been good, good people person. And uh, he demonstrated those traits right off, traits, I should say, right off the bat. So, um, he loved uh, kind of roughhousing, which was kind of fun. Well, the laundry chute was, again, a big laundry chute that went from the third floor all the way to the basement. So it's quite lengthy and it was sizable. I used to dangle him uh, from the, I opened that trap door on the third floor and I would dangle him with both my hands. And, you know, he would be looking down into the shaft that went all the way to the uh, basement. And um, Is this nephew abuse? <laughs> it is total nephew Okay, abuse. go on. It's total nephew <laughs> abuse and but and, and more than that I would hold him with two hands at first and then I would take it and and put uh try to hold both of his ankles together with one hand and I'd start shaking my arm <laughs> but then we would I'd pull him back uh, uh from that and uh put him down on the floor after he was screaming bloody murder and he would beg to you know go do it again so sure. it was it was a routine we had and then of course Johnny it was just kind of the epitome of joy. I couldn't believe it. I mean, mom used to talk about, you know, how, and he did, I would witness this, that he would be in a crib in their bedroom and he would wake up in the morning and be singing. He would sing. I mean, where does a child like that come from, you know? And then, uh, and on pitch, I might add. (laughs) So I remember another story about Therese Marie is that she was so dainty and she was very, um, elegant I don't know what the word would be but I'm I remember mom used to marvel at her ability to eat spaghetti that uh, she'd take these long strands of spaghetti and then you know uh, somehow uh, (laughs) suck them up suck them up into her mouth without having a spot on her and mom was marveled at her being so meticulous with regard to and of course she came by that naturally as well I think after talking about the siblings and then thinking about Therese, me, Jimmy, and Johnny, and to think that they were bookend, bookended, so to speak, with Nana Callahan and with um, UJ, kind of, if people think it's remarkable that they were 18 kids, just consider the fact that there were five, five individuals that were cared for generously by mom and dad, and that I think speaks volumes about uh, about their heart and their generosity and their moral grounding. Let's listen to Teresa Maureen, number 16. I remember when they, Teresa, Jimmy, and Johnny moved in with us, I was like 11 years old, and I would literally run home from Holy Name because I couldn't wait to get my hands on Johnny in that crib in Mom and Dad's room, and I would pick him up and throw him on the bed, and we would have so much fun. He was such a beautiful bambino just so squishy and he would giggle and giggle and it was such a treat to come home to him every day and then of course Teresa Marie was like a living doll she was Shirley Temple so many curls and so sweet and um, it was just wonderful to have these little peoples in my home because being a 16th child Bridget was um, only four years younger than me and then now I had three little 
babies that I just loved. And let's listen to Bridget Louise, number 18. Well, um, people would uh, ask me what it's like to be the youngest of 18. And I would always say that truly I wasn't because after me came Trace, Jimmy, and Johnny. I was so young myself when Eleanor passed, I believe around six years old. The three of them were nothing but pure joy. Therese was my shadow and we shared a bedroom. She was and is the sweetest thing. Jimmy was a rascal, always on the move and full of life. Johnny was Johnny Angel. I can still, still hear mother singing that song to him as he laid in the crib next to their bed. As of this day, they are more like siblings than niece and nephews. I can't imagine my childhood without them in it. Please listen to Therese Marie and her memories of living at Manor Road. So some of my earliest memories of, of, I'll start with Grandpa, are that he loved fires, and I know that he would always go on the way back and burn leaves in the back, and that's a big memory for me. And looking out in the back, not believing how big the flames were <laughs> in the way back. And I also remember taking piano lessons from Grandpa and how every time I had a lesson with him, he always had sharpened pencils with full erasers on them. And I never ever was with him where he didn't have one in his pocket or one laying on top of the keyboard at the piano. And that's one of my fondest memories that, that I have today is I always keep sharpened pencils by me for work with full erasers, not just the ones that you put on top of the pencil, but the actual pencil eraser. Grandma, I have a lot of memories too. I, I remember being very young and I remember that when I went to kindergarten, I never liked taking naps, but I always wanted to go to kindergarten in the afternoon so I wouldn't have to hopefully take a nap. But I was enrolled in morning kindergarten and when I came home off the bus, I would have lunch and I remember grandma always making me take a nap. And that was the one thing that I needed to do. But I was tired and I did it. But I remember her always being there when I got off the bus at school. So Therese, I remember, I think it was Tuesday nights, your dad would take you, Jimmy and Johnny, out to see your grandma, your mother's mother, Grandma Frendo, mm -hmm. and uh, who also lived with Grandma and Grandpa Panunzio, which was Grandma Frendo's parents, right? Mm -hmm. And Uncle Dennis and Uncle Fred. What, what are your memories of uh, the visits there? So I remember every Tuesday, because I think my dad played softball on the east side, he would drive us over to Grandma Frendo's and drop us off for dinner and you know a chance to visit with grandma friendo and grandma panonzio while my dad played softball and i remember every time going over there being served just this huge amount of food <laughs> a huge huge plate of spaghetti and meatballs and again, they had a big table too, and Grandma Panunzio would always say, manja, manja, and she would come over and ask us if we wanted cheese on our spaghetti. And of course I said no, because even to this day, I don't like Parmesan cheese, but she would just take two or three heaping spoonfuls and dump it on our, um, our pasta anyway. She would always tell me to keep my money, never to keep my money in my pocketbook, but to always put it in my bra. <laughs> so, um, and to watch out. So those are some of the memories I have of Grandma Panunzio. So do you have any funny memories of Manor Road? I do. A couple of them stand out for me even to this day. I remember at Easter time, 
getting all dressed up with my dress and my white tights and my pant leather shoes with my big Easter basket. And Jimmy and Johnny were also all dressed up. And my dad was trying to get us together and Grandma Callahan so that he could take a picture outside in the front of the house. And all I remember is that all we wanted to do was to play and run around. And Jimmy and Johnny dropped their baskets and were running somewhere in the front yard. And <laughs> I followed them and ended up falling or tripping and the knees of my white tights were instantly grass stained and black with dirt. <laughs> and I even think my dad, when he finally was able to take that picture of the three of us, I had these terrible stains on my tights and how disappointed grandma and my dad must have been because all they wanted to do was to get a perfect picture for Easter morning of the three of us smiling, holding our Easter baskets that were probably as big as each one of us. Uh, I'm gonna I'm try to find that picture. <laughs> if you do, let me know. I, I want a copy of it too. I will. Um, any other funny memories that you can um, Just that I always remember um, just love having my aunts and uncles, especially my aunts around me all the time. I remember one time, it must have been during the school year when I was very young. It must have been April Fool's Day because I think I got woken up at like three or four in the morning. And one of my aunts told me I was late for school. <gasps> and I got all dressed up in my uniform, my knee socks, everything, and was ready to leave for school and looked out the window and it was pitch black. Oh. So that was a funny, funny memory. <laughs> I remember that to this day. And um, since I'm the oldest, it was just so nice to have older aunts that were really, truly my sisters. Aww. So what other memories? I know there's so many of uh, Queen Mary. Your grandmother? So another big memory I have is always at Christmas time, obviously, when we were living on Manor Road, we seemed to always have the hugest tree in the living room. Because we did. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. And it was huge. It was so huge. And I remember being so excited to help Grandma decorate it. And first the lights went on, and then all the ornaments. And... I remember um, her love of ornaments and all the different kind of ornaments that she had on, on the tree. And I just remember loving to help her decorate that. And even as I got older and obviously got married and all of that, she and I would still every year um, trade ornaments because she always said that the, the most beautiful trees are decorated um, by sharing ornaments and having unmatched ornaments on your tree. And so I still have to this day the starched white snowflake crocheted ornaments that I have, I think probably eight or nine of them that I put on my Christmas tree every year. And I think of grandma every year. Anything else you'd like to share? Any other memories, Trees? Another memory I have is when I was living there, there was always beautiful music, whether it was Grandpa Callahan practicing for mass or giving lessons or Grandma uh, singing or playing. We were always surrounded in that house with beautiful music on that piano. And I remember that to this day. And little did I know how lucky and fortunate I was uh, to be surrounded by that. Um, and that's a very happy memory for me too. One of my most favorite memories is when I was little, um, I remember my aunts and uncles sitting, myself, and I think Jimmy. Johnny might have been too little. 
on the, at the bottom of the big staircase at Manor Road. And when you sat on the staircase, there was a wall and it had all 18 children's high school graduation picture. And they were all in order of age. And I remember my aunts and uncles, mostly my aunts, I think, teaching me how to say their names in chronological order and that I couldn't leave the stairs until we had memorized and recited their names in order. And even to this day, I can whip off all 18. Okay, give names. me a sample. Margaret, John, Paul, Jim, Brian, Kathy, Eddie, Billy, Ann, Patricia, Claire, Chris, Kevin, Mary, Joseph, Teresa, Patrick, and Bridget. Boom! Bada bing, bada boom. Yes, and so that's a very, very happy memory. I remember it being really hard, and we kept going over it and over it and <laughs> over it again. And uh, whenever we got called to the stairs, um, usually it was to be able to make sure we hadn't forgotten. Um, so that was a really, really fun memory. I also have really good memories. It's just coming back to me now of, you know, Manor Road was such a great house. And I always remember Jimmy, Johnny, and I loving to hide like hiding in different places, whether it was in the basement, whether it was in the library, whether it was on the third floor. There were so many places to hide. A lot of options. A yeah. lot of options. And so it was wonderful growing up there for those years because it was such a huge house. And there was many places to go and lots of stuff to do in there. And so that was a really, really fun memory too. Now, let's listen to little Jimmy and his memories of living at Manor Road. So I distinctly remember the dinner table and the amount of people at the dinner table. And I remember being very hungry and worried that maybe there, there wasn't, by the time the food got to me, there wouldn't be anything left. So I noticed that Grandma brought the food to Grandpa first and he was sitting across the table from me and I started to think, wow, I hope, I hope by the time it gets to me, there's some left. Fortunately, there was plenty for me, but I remember thinking, this is not gonna happen again. I'm not gonna be in this spot again. So the next night, I made sure to get to the table a little early and squeeze in next to grandpa to the right of him. And I got served second, and that's pretty much where my spot was for the next five years. Uh, I distinctly remember spending a lot of time with Aunt Anne, Aunt Patricia, and Aunt Claire. Uh, playing with us in the apple orchard and then taking us to Poppleton Park and uh, then to the Dairy Queen afterward and walking there together and how much fun we had and Aunt Anne drilling the song The Name Game with us all the way there, all the way back, rhyming. Um, it, was, it was just bliss. Um, and then some other stories, you know, Uncle Joe was famous. You know, I was up at the third floor he was able to maneuver me into the laundry chute upside down by my ankles. And uh, I just distinctly remember always looking at the bottom basement to see if there was clothes down there or if it was cement floor. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily there was always clothes there. So, you know, I think it uh, it's affected a little bit. I'm a little bit afraid of heights. I don't know if that has anything to do with it today, yeah, but... Thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, and also uh, spending time on the third floor with Uncle Pat, Kevin, Chris, Joe, and Uncle Kevin rocking out the Who songs, acapella in his underwear, and the music, and the noise, and you know, I, I felt like uh, I was getting my fraternity experience in advance, yes, yes. 
How about your memories of visiting Grandma Friendo? I would say there's one word to use and that is food. Uh, every time I remember arriving there, you know, and seeing Grandma Panangio and Grandma Friendo both at the kitchen table, either rolling raviolis, rolling little meatballs for their pasta, pastinas, Italian soup, um, making tomato sauce. Um, it was, they were, they were probably working on it for two days before we got there, but uh, doing the finishing touches. Okay, how about Grandma Callahan? The legend. I finally remember her taking us on Monday mornings to AMP to do the shopping. And it just was amazing to me that the, the amount of shopping carts that were full of food. And I do recall there were some employees at AMP that would help her load the carts and walk us out to the parking lot to load the vehicle, which was really nice. She seemed to be on a first name basis with a lot of the people at AMP. So, you know, I'm sure there wasn't too many people in the area buying that much food at once. Yeah. Memorable. Um, also, the, the times we went up to, uh, she went to get her hair done at Crowley, she would take us and always say, hey, if you guys are good, the reward's gonna be, I'll take you over to Sanders Ice Cream next door to get a hot fudge sundae. So we always look forward to doing that, which was great. Um, but my fondest memory of Grandma was when I started my first day of kindergarten. The, uh, the bus pulled up on Manor Road and it was facing, it was heading west toward Woodward. And Grandma realized this before I did, but for me to be able to get on the bus, I would have to walk in front of the bus and then to the door and Grandma raised her hand and the bus driver opened the window and said, yes, ma'am. And Grandma said, my grandson is not getting on this bus. He is not gonna walk in front of the bus. Please, you need, can you go down and turn the bus around? And the bus driver said, absolutely not. This is the route, I'm not doing it. And uh, grandma got a little angry, but she did walk me in front of the bus to get on it. But lo and behold, the next day, the bus driver came. She was heading the other direction, so I never had to walk in front of the bus to get on it again. Cute. Okay, so how about aunts and uncles? Aunts and uncles, yeah, what, what legendary memories I have. You know, um, I felt like it was Disney World every day for me at the house. I mean, seriously. With, with so many things going on. It kind of was. <laughs> it, it, exactly. Um, you know, Aunt Bridget would take us down to the Rouge River. We'd look for fish. We got introduced to Mrs. Shalene and her shotgun. And uh, the one time she pointed at us, you know, I remember saying, I'm, I'm telling my grandma and grandpa on you, you're in big trouble. And, uh, and there, was, there used to be a little bridge that would connect over the, over the Rouge River. Rouge River to her property and you know miraculously a few days later the bridge looked like it caught fire and burnt to ashes so wow. um, that, that was unfortunate but um, but yeah we, we really never saw any any Mrs. Shalene again after that. Going back to the dinner table you know every time I finished dinner and I would walk through the kitchen and to see the amount of dishes in that uh, God love my aunts who worked at, who were there was at least three or four of them standing there getting ready to do the dishes before dishwashers and then certainly the amount of laundry in the basement I spent a lot of time in the basement chewing around and you know I think the piles were they looked like they were 10 feet tall at least you know the the laundry chutes came in handy besides shoving me in it to get the clothes fit down there so. 
that worked out that worked out pretty well yeah. but just the love and caring 24 7 um it's just a blessing for god for me quite frankly because i do feel like i'm it wasn't 18 it was 21 and um you know i definitely have a different relationship with all my aunts and uncles because of that i don't consider them really aunts and uncles i really consider them brothers and sisters yeah it was fantastic. I, you know, I was fortunate to go to one of Uncle Pat's, uh, I think I went to the Boys Bowl when I was little. And uh, I remember being with Grandma, and his number 30, and he was he was out there cracking people on the field and making interceptions. And, Killer Callahan. Yeah, what a, what a great event. Okay, how about Grandpa? Yeah, Grandpa, loving, always kind and loving. I always looked forward to having lunch with him every day uh, when he came home in his break time and then he took a little nap and I was fortunate to nap with him next to him uh, in his room which I, I really enjoyed. Um, he was my p piano teacher for so many years. He'd always, he, the one thing he always did was he'd always, you know, grab the back of my hair and pull it up just to, re just to remind me who the boss was, which was great. Just grandpa's dedication, I mean, really. Um, I remember a gentleman, an older gentleman, came up to me at Holy Name back when I was in high school. And uh, he, he introduced himself and he said, oh, are you related to the Callahans? I said, yes. He goes, "Who's? how are you related to the gentleman that plays the organ? I said, that's my grandpa. And he goes, yeah, you know, you know one thing I say about your grandpa is he said, no matter what, I, I can always guarantee guarantee that when I come to Mass, he will be on that organ. No matter what, whether he's sick, he never misses, he's dedicated, and that's a, that's a great testament to his dedication. Yeah, that true. was nice. But it was true. And it was true? Yeah, for sure. And finally, Johnny and his memories of living at Manor Road. So I've got um, a couple different memories that kind of meld together, um, one of which, and I don't remember what birthday or Christmas or whatever, but I think I got a wooden play school giraffe or something, and I got on it, fell off, and split my head wide open. And I remember going to the doctor, it didn't Oops. hurt, didn't do whatever, but I just remember the whole, all the attention, I got candy, I came back, everybody was super worried. But I, I, it had to be maybe my first birthday or my, my, or my second Christmas or something along those lines. But I do remember so many other things that are overlapping in that time frame. Yeah. I mean, you could go from room to room and even floor to floor. Like I remember that basement and the dungeon and the coal room and being scared to be Jesus down there. And then first floor was the adult floor where everything went down and grandpa had his chair and. And then the eating room, which was, you know, massive and awesome. And then the first floor with the wide stairs and all that was sleeping. Or I should say the second floor. The second floor was, and then the third floor was the boys' floor. And having many laugh riots and seeing all kinds of good stuff up there, which was awesome. So each floor had its own set of rules, though. It was, it was funny. And even room to room, I mean... You could go from somebody playing with friends to, you know, grandpa sitting there with the fire, watching, reading, whatever. So you could find whatever you were looking for. It was pure joy being up on the third floor and there was always like rock and roll music, like Led Zeppelin or something. 
And he, the Joe and Kevin used to have us um, take the microphone and lip sync um, these things and put on a show or just f for their friends who would laugh. I remember Pickett being up there and oh just absolutely like, you know. Never knew this. Being, being up there and of course they were, you know, Outrageous. Our older brothers telling us, hey, do this, do that, and, and just having a ball with it. So I do remember going to Grandma Fernando's very vividly. And I remember, you know, because I think sometimes we drove by Springdale, um, and then we would drive by a, another golf course right before we got to Grandma Fernando's. And I'm like, why does it take so long? We just went around the block. Like, so I remember the car rides, and I remember having, you know, sometimes Aunt Patricia was with us. A lot of times there were people with us, but Grandma Frendo and Grandma Panunzio, who were both there, I mean, it was it was great to be there. They loved to see us. Of course, we always ate, and uh, you know we would spend a couple of hours, and it was it was phenomenal. It was great, and even my uncle Fred mentioned how you know thankful he was that my dad did that religiously every single week, and so. It was great that we had a chance to spend as much time as we did with Frendos. So Fred was a senior in high school when Eleanor died. And I remember he told me the story how um, uh, my mom was in the hospital, you know, completely, you know, compromised and on her deathbed. And she apologized to Fred for not being able to go to his graduation. And oh, it was just man. so shocking. And she, uh, yeah, so he was in high school and uh, Dennis was probably five years younger than that. So, wow. uh, yeah. So Grandpa and Grandma Panunzio, I remember them vividly. I can still smell Grandma Panunzio. Like, I, like I can smell, and it was a combination of pasta and sweat. <laughs> and it was awesome. And she, when she gave you a hug, you were enveloped. Like, you were you engulfed. Were engulfed. Yes, you were. And it's funny because when I got married, um, Grandma Frendo said that she wanted to, you know, teach my wife how to make spaghetti. And, and actually her sauce. And we went over there and Carrie went over there and we spent about an hour and a half. And um, I think Grandma Fredo gave her about 70% of the recipe. She would throw stuff in and Carrie would be like, well, what was that? And she would say, uh, oh, you don't need to know that. You don't need to know that. <laughs> so she kept it, she took that to her grave. So her cooking was, you know, her thing. And yeah. I, it was, she was very good at it, needless to say. Grandma Callahan, was just so much, she gave me so much love. Like, I felt absolutely safe and just untouchable in that house with her when she was there. And I know I was the youngest. I know I was probably getting away with a lot of things that I shouldn't have. And, uh, but you were the, the baby. I was the baby, but I probably abused that privilege. However, I knew that she gave me um, extra special love. Mm -hmm. And Grandpa, same thing. Um, probably the most spiritual, God-fearing, disciplined man I've ever met in my life. Literally an inspiration um, across the board. And, <clears throat> you know, um, fun to be around, believe it or not. I was lucky enough to have piano from Grandma. Well, you so took grandma, it, right, it grandma demanded that I take piano and followed up by dinner. So I would go over and, you know, spend lots of time. I can tell you that it's, uh, we were very, very fortunate under those circumstances to have that. And grandma to allow more into the house and then devote so much time and effort 
I mean, and I spent a lot of time with grandma. I mean, I remember going to A&P shopping with her. And literally, I thought I was on a train because <laughs> I was sitting in one of the carts. And I think there was two carts full of food behind me and one in front of me and maybe four or five people. Like, I don't know how she could have done it, but she did. And then to drag us along and me along was crazy. You said you don't remember leaving because you were like four. Yeah, That's I mean. So young. Well, I remember after I left. I don't remember the event of leaving. Mm -hmm. I remember, um, you know, it was so, such a stark contrast from being in that house with my brother and sister and everything. And it just so happened that, you know, when we moved or I moved out, both Jim and Trace were in school. They were gone. So the house went, was completely empty and very quiet. And it was, you know, quite honestly, I, I didn't know what and why that I couldn't fathom what happened and uh, I wondered if it was something that I did to, to get away from that you know that fun and that just that activity level but we went back a lot a ton um, never enough and uh, you know it was uh, it was special time that uh, you know I, I can't thank enough for everybody involved we yeah. you guys were so loved and it was it was hard for us when you left too, yeah, yeah. because it was my my two little brothers and sister yeah <laughs> and, and and your dad correct and your father yeah, yeah i remember chris's car thunderbird or some muscle car he had um uh, i remember kevin vividly um you know and then of course doc and bridget were you know omnipresent Let's listen to James P. and I discuss how he met and fell in love with Hillary Keating. And then it was almost five years? Five years. And, well, you met Hillary yeah. from our sister Anne, yeah. commuted to Mary Grove, as did Patricia. And didn't Hillary drive them? Wasn't she? Yes. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yes. Because I remember Hillary picking them up and then coming well, in. Hillary and, had the access to the car. Right, she had the wheels. <laughs> And then you guys fell in love, uh, got married, and, and then moved out. And then, of course, after you moved out, yeah. living so close to Elaine. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah. so it was, it was a big expectation on top of teaching and yeah. uh, a newlywed with uh, Hillary and the kids and everything that it's a treasured memory a lot because of you. So they came and they left. Let's listen to Therese Marie's final thoughts. I remember thinking how super sad I was to leave. It was painful. It made me cry. Um, I had so many wonderful memories and had so much fun living with grandma and grandpa and my aunts and uncles. I couldn't imagine what my new life was going to be like. And now let's listen to Jimmy's final thoughts. Quite honestly, I can associate with like leaving the Magic Kingdom or Disney World because that's how much joy and pleasure and happiness I had at Manor Road in those five years that I lived. And, you know, to make the transition from being surrounded by all these people that loved and family to, you know, now it's our, my brother, my sister, myself, and, you know, my dad and our new family. It was, uh, it was hard. Well, just so you know, Jimmy, it was tough for us, too. Yeah, it was like having a little sister and two brothers leave. 
but it was wonderful to see your father happy again. Yeah, absolutely. That's the most important. Yeah, I'm glad I have this opportunity to uh, speak about the family and my experiences, but but I do want to take the moment to uh, personally thank all my aunts and uncles for all the love and support they showed myself during not only my five years of living in Manor Road, but throughout my whole lifetime. Um, I am eternally grateful, and I honestly don't think I would be the man today without having the love and support shown by all of the family back then. It... Uh, it's an everlasting moment. I'll never forget it, and I live with it daily. And now, Johnny. All I can tell you is that I am very appreciative of all of the love and energy that we got from the entire family. You know, obviously Patricia was very, very special, very special, and as my godmother, you know, very special. But everybody, I mean, and you know, Margaret. I mean, you you just go right down the the whole the whole line. Um, I will tell you a funny story that um, even Ed, uh, Dr. Ed, who loved to play catch, and he fancied himself, I think, as a pitcher for the Tigers, maybe a Fedrich or something. But I was playing catch with him and would play catch for hours, and I took a ball off the top. He was throwing hot fastballs. There was a ball that went off the top of the glove and knocked my tooth out. And uh, Yeah, it was funny. So, of course, what did we go to see? Uncle Mike Guest. Aunt Margaret's uh, uh, husband, who his skill was putting every finger in your mouth at one time. And uh, But the byproduct was I got a brown cap, which I still have today. And my dentist, every time he wants to replace it, I said, absolutely not. This is, uh, Evidence. Great, this is a great memory and I will, I, will, I will go to the grave with it. You should show it to Uncle Ed every time you you I don't think he it. remembers that story, but it's- He will uh, now. Yes, he will. <laughs> Well, I think I will speak on behalf of all of my siblings in that we just loved you. And you know what? You were easy to love. Well, thank you. A lot of people ask me, oh, it must be horrible that you lost your mom and, you know, that you didn't know her. And I can equivocally say that I do know her and I know she's here and I feel her regularly. And I appreciate that. So she's a inspiration. A truly bittersweet time for our family as so much of life is, bitter and sweet. They say that there is strength in numbers. <laughs> God knows we had that in spades. And we had our parents at the helm, who were constant in their devotion to us, to ours, to family. And the sweet. What a blessing that the beautiful and brilliant Hillary Keating came into our brother James P.'s life and into ours. To quote E.E. E. Cummings, Thank you, God, for most this amazing day, for everything which is infinite, which is natural, which is yes. Now, don't forget to go to our photo gallery, www.1of18notjustanumber.com. In our next episode, number 14, it continues to take a village. We will explore some serious characters who had a lot of character. <laughs>